Welcome to the Zion Art Podcast, presented by the Zion Art Society, where we interview Latter-day Saint artists, scholars, and collectors. I am your host, Micah Christensen. This week, an interview with Dr. Rita Wright and Emily Larson of the Springville Museum of Art about the opening of the 95th annual Spring Salon at the museum. Our producer, Eric Biggert, and I went down to the museum, previewed the show, and were able to talk with Rita and Emily about the process, about the award winners, and about um, not just their favorite pieces, but about um, overall trends that they see happening in this important contest. We are thrilled to be here this morning, sitting around the big conference table at the Springville Museum of Art with Dr. Rita Wright, the director of the Springville Museum of Art, and with Emily Larson, the head of programs and exhibitions. You've got, I've got to say that right. You've got to say that's right. Emily, I've known you for so long that, that, that I never get to use your title. So you've got to tell us now. Well, and it changed within the last year. So we can forgive, forgive your ignorance, Mike, <laughs> but it's um, head of exhibitions and programs. So you were really close. You I was were like really close. I was getting there. there. Now yeah. I'm going to know it. Yeah, perfect. And Emily has been on the front lines of, of, of the salon as it's been happening. This is salon number 95, 95 years of the Spring Salon. And um, I think you had mentioned that this is the largest number of works that have been submitted in eight years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to tell you, we've been walking, we walked around for the past hour uh, and, and talked about a few pieces. I tried to limit the conversations because um, I knew we wanted to have them fresh here in front of the microphones. But just the whole experience of walking up to the museum, it's spring, the daffodils, the tulips, you couldn't have a more beautiful setting coming into the building. And there, it's we're a week before it, the, this is going to be published and the, the announcements are coming out, not quite a week. And, and there's a little bit of chaos still, so it feels super fresh because there, there's still labels aren't on everything. So the challenge that we've got here... It's work in progress, work at, Micah. It's, I don't mean chaos. I mean creative chaos. Creative That's chaos. That's what I mean. I mean productive. I don't mean entropy, right? I mean creative, creative energy here that is just palpable. This is what we're going to try and do. It may be impossible. We're going to try and give an overview of, of the event and then dive into award winners and pieces. First, and maybe you don't have the numbers for these, how many works were submitted to the show? 990 works were submitted to the salon. You say it's the most that's been done in, in, uh, in eight years. Mm-hmm. In so our- how much more? So in the last several years, we've, we've been averaging closer to like between 850 and 900, so 875, 880, 890. So it's almost 100 more than we've really been getting in the last few years. Yeah. Can we attribute this to President Trump? No, <laughs> no, no. We don't attribute no. anything. The, the, the economy's doing. Oh, I'm kidding. I, I, we never you don't get, into get into politics. In the body. This was a joke. <laughs> um, this is but, Emily's hard work, is what we're Just we saying, will this and, work? And, and, can and they the claim staff. this is a re election victory? For the camp, no, they can't. I'm just kidding. But um, we're redacting some of the works. So it's almost a hundred more than 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 typical. And I guess the question that one of the questions I have, which is a very general uh, um, question, is what are trends you're noticing? Anything that's different this year? I'm, I'm talking on an on thematic level, on a um, uh, on a uh, on an aesthetic level, um, on a medium level of what's happening and maybe it's too early to tell because usually you get to live with these things for a while and think about them over time and we're now at the first blush of your experience with them but what is your first impression um rita do you want to go first sure uh i think this year there's a brightness in the general palette the last few years and whatever we attribute it to whether it's some general national sentiments or uh, just within the artistic world, some some lack of clarity and concern Brighter there. Color. Yeah, I, across I think all styles. Walking through the galleries, it is much brighter. A couple of years ago, um, about election time, the high school show was noticeably dark, very heavy, very deeply conceptual, socially driven. But that's probably the thing walking through these galleries. And of course, a lot of it has to do with the, the uh, selection of works. But there is 
some energy, there's some brightness mm. to it. I don't want to be be too philosophical about it, but I think there's a much more hopeful sense with these artists about things are getting better for artists, and they're reflecting that in the general nature of their works. Interesting. Emily? Um, one thing that's really stuck out to me, I agree with Rita that there's this brighter palette. There's, I, I, I haven't thought about the hopefulness, but it really rings true when you're talking about that and thinking about what's in the galleries right now. I think the thing that I keep saying, and we were, I was saying a lot too as we were walking around, is, wow, this is the best painting I think I've seen by this artist, or this is the best sculpture or drawing. I think, um, especially for a lot of the young artists in this state, I've, there's a lot of pieces in this show that I think are the best I've seen of those artists. Like Stephanie Hawk, I think, is one of those, this painting that's in the show. I love it, and it's which one is Great. Stephanie Hawks? Oh, and I'm gonna have to look up the title, but um, it's a wonderful right. street Moving. scene, and there's the yeah. energy, the, oh, yes. umbra- the table umbrellas, and yes, you've but, got it. Yeah, I think I think artists doing really. I, I'm seeing growth amongst the artists, especially the young artists, and then I also um, am seeing innovation. I'm seeing artists who are working in a particular style, trying new things. Like Justin Wheatley has this great painting that's a new a new palette, a new kind of. Um, perspective on that fits within his body of work but is a new way of painting it and I, I like seeing the artist trying new things so as you're well. seeing g- great works and unusual experimental works by established artists and newer artists are you seeing more emerging artists than you've seen in the past does it feel that way is that yeah I know and it's kind of maybe anecdotal or maybe you do have the numbers but does it feel feel like there are more and younger artists well we're at least recognizing more. Uh, I think one of the things that to me it's saying is that with so many other opportunities for artists in Utah, that they are still looking at this salon as the place, like Emily said, where they want to show their best work, what's most current in their hmm. their works. And, and the rule is anything a, that's been over the past three years right. that they've made. And so but you've noticed that it's actually like it people making us. things specifically has been a pretty common thing this time. There's been a lot of new stuff. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know if that's different than years before, but I think there's a, a lot of artists do want to submit their best work to the salon, and sometimes we'll make, yeah, specific works for the salon. Because we'll talk about how many things are going on in this state, how many different exhibitions and shows and, and smaller shows, and so that the artists are still looking to this salon as a place they want to continue. Right, you would think that you know maybe the fact that there are other things and 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 exhibitions that are going on just because we're the state's growing in population and potentially there are more options to show your work that that would mean some energy is sapped, but it doesn't feel that way at all. It feels like if anything, the salon has gained strength and prominence in that kind of marketplace of of art ideas and 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 venues. Question about I, so I've. I want to ask who the jurors are, but before I do, I just want to ask something practical about it. I, I w- I've been a juror before, and in the past, when I've seen a jurator done it myself, you have wall limitations, right? It seems like that is the thing you run up against. It's not, we have a specific number, the percentage that can be or can't be um, in the show. It's more just what can we fit on the walls? And when you have more works, how... Have you has that affected you at all this year since you've had more works that have been submitted, how you've decided what stays in? And if so, how? Sure, that makes it all the harder to know where to cut off the works right. because we want to try to show a fair representation of the number of works that that are being submitted. And so that's one of those points we keep saying with the jurors and even with the staff as they're hanging it. We want to acknowledge that number of works, but it's hard. That's where jurying gets subjective. It just, where is that line where you say, this one does go on the wall, this one goes back in the bin. Right. Really tough. Have you have you found a way to hang more works than you have in the past? I think you'd mentioned something to that as well. Yeah, we're yeah. Around. So I this year we did accept um, maybe 20, 30 more than we have in the past several years, and we're going to do more of the salon style, portrait style walls with all the groupings, um, which hopefully will get good reception to. It means that more works can be in this show, but I know it can be kind of like a hit or miss thing, but we do get a lot of good feedback, especially from our visitors. They love these salon-style walls. They love being able to see all the works in conversation with each other, and they they really respond well to it. So we, from a visitor standpoint, love doing them, but I know... From an artist standpoint, it's they want more attention to their one piece. Sometimes they do. 
However, Micah, you and I know, going back to the French salons, the Royal Academy in London, that idea of being on a salon wall, that is the way yeah. these greatest masterpieces were originally exhibited. Yeah. And so there is a dynamism about it. There's an energy of works in conversation with each other, almost, it maybe is a little Baroque for all the classical academies, but to overwhelm the visitor with a number of places for the eye to roam. Yeah, and, it, and, and I'd have to say, if you were talking about egregious abuse of salon hanging, <laughs> you would get nowhere close. <laughs> to it because you would no, have in the 19th century they would talk often about a work being skied meaning that you it was on 18 foot walls and it was hanging at the very top angled at like a 45 degree angle so that you were looking at it craning your neck and that that isn't the case no. here at all no um, no and we we do hang them really thoughtfully trying to give each work it's due in the show. We want yeah. each work to really be spotlighted in this show. And Such a balance that you have to strike. No, but it's fun. That's the fun part. But And I will yeah. say that Emily and her staff have become masters at doing that. And that's the comment we get from the artists is when they see this, because they are so thoughtful, you will see as you went in with the chaos that there are big pieces of paper with sketches on. They arrange them carefully. It's not just like, oh, we have this one, let's hang it. They're very thoughtful about palette, about the kind of styles that they're placing next to one another. And so it's a conscientious, creative effort. Emily is an artist. Her staff, they are, this is an artwork they are creating with these salon mm -hmm. walls. Who, who were the jurors this year, and what was the process of, of, of picking them in particular? So the jurors this year were Jessica Farling. She's the director of the Southern Utah Museum of Art, and Jorge Rojas, who's the um, director of education at the Utah Museum of Fine Arts, and he's also a practicing artist in Salt Lake. So they they were the jurors this year, and the process is how it is every, every year, every jury show we do. It's a process of elimination. You walk through. You're overwhelmed when you come in. There's art in every nook and cranny of the museum so they can yeah. see it all, and they have to just start saying, this one's going to be out, this one's going to be out, until they narrow it down to what what can fit and one thing I do want to say that I thought of earlier in our discussion and fits in right now too is with this show there's 990 entries and there are hundreds more hundreds of works of art that did not get into this show that could have been in this show it's not an issue of quality or caliber it's just an, an issue of these were the ones that the jurors chose yeah and that's always the hard part is there's there's so many great works that don't get to be on the walls and, and we tried to choose over the years kind of varied artists or jurors with varied interests and so sometimes there are some that are more classically traditionally inclined sometimes there are you know these two are museum professionals so that's going to frame the kind of uh, works they're maybe more interested in so we try to have a technical element. That's the first consideration is, are these works technically sound or sophisticated? Then a conceptual, is the artist really thinking through what, the, what they want to do? But then there is always a subjective level with the jurors. I like that. And that's how we want people to buy art as well, right? right. We don't want to say, oh, you're just buying art as an investment. We want you to buy something because you like it. It resonates with you. So was it a fairly, you've been, you both of you have been through this many times. Was it a smooth jurying process this time? Not that I'm looking for any intrigue <laughs> necessarily, but, but uh, did it, did, were, were the jurors mostly um, in agreement and, and it went through fairly quickly? And I know it can still, I mean, we've caught you at the tail end of an exhausting process, I know. You've been going through this for a long time. Um, with jurying took place which day? Um, we started the Monday after intake at 8.30 a.m. Okay. And full day. And it's a, and a full day. To late, yeah. Okay. And you picked how many award winners? And, and, and then we'll, before we say who the award winners are, how many award winners were chosen? So and when I say you, I mean the jurors. And, and then there's a... Um, is there a director's award? No. No. Okay. No, there's the first, second, third place. Okay. And then how many and and then what are the other awards? 
there are six awards of merit and then the honorable mentions we don't have a set amount it can fluctuate okay um and this year there are 15 okay so drum roll i'm not actually gonna no, hit the table wait, we need to answer your previous question okay, ahead, micah you're okay, trying to- <laughs> i'm sorry get in ahead of me. i'm just so excited this was actually they were very um both consistent and congenial and genial as they went through the jurors worked together very well staff we had no drama this no. time. There have been times in the past where either the personalities of the jurors or their preference for certain kinds of works had no. things a little animated and sometimes contentious. These two, I think, came from similar um, backgrounds, expectations of what they were looking for, which in some ways was not necessarily what always the museum mm. mission is, but it was, a, it was a wonderful process. They were incredibly thoughtful. They worked together well. They went through and did their own ideas, and then there was enough conversation that we felt like they were really taking into consideration what the artist was mm. trying to do, some of those those ideas they were trying to express. I'm really, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. There is a part of me that wants intrigue and fistfights <laughs> and controversy, but I know that's it's not a good recipe. Well, I will say that a few years ago, and this is kind of in memoriam, when Bill Whitaker was here, and yeah. we love Bill, and we're so sad he's gone because all the time I'm, what would, what would Bill say about the way this paint's laid down yeah. or whatever? But um, he was very opinionated, but it was so educational for me to walk yeah. through with him because even artists that were doing something more abstract, like he looked at a Leslie Duke and went on and on about how well she worked the paint. Yeah. And even though he kept saying, this is not exactly what I would have seen her doing with the training that she had or working with me, but he said she's gotten to be very masterful in how she's working the paint. And so that that reflects both his uh, passions as a juror, that he was looking for certain things. Um, and there were there have been times, believe me, that it has been not short of contentious, it's been just downright contentious. Yeah, yeah. And it does, it does create excitement. It takes a lot longer. Be a great to reality <laughs> show. Yeah. Be a great I reality show. I have thought, okay, all of our film producers out there, behind the scenes doing something like MOA or a museum could be the office in the most intriguing way with donors, with buyers, with artists. It could be very fascinating. Show pitch. Yeah. I think you, you could do that. I'll let you know if anybody follows Thank up you. on that. Do you want to, should we do the reveal of who the winners are now? This will be coming out the day, at, the, the, the morning after they've been announced. So I'm sure that a lot of people, this will be them hearing it for the first time. So the first place award winner is Emily. I, I'll I drum wanted roll. to almost do it to Rita, but I'll, okay. I'll say I feel, I feel honored to be announcing this. Um, Regan Reichert and the the title, I can't read the script, but the English translation is Inum Verum, or the, that might be, I don't know what. We'll come, and we'll come back to it and we'll describe what it is. Yes, then. The second place award. David Ralph Dibble, Reluctance. And the third place award. Colby Sanford, Sharing Light. Okay, and we won't describe it. It'll be published, all the awards of merits and the honorable mentions. But let's go to the first place award winner, um, which is, um, it, it is, is something that is un, unmissable, right? You, you, it's, it's a really, really remarkable piece. Who is Regan Reichert? Am I saying that right? I think it's Regan Reichert. Reichert. Okay. I could be wrong, but Regan Reichert. Okay. Um, first of all, let's just describe what this is. Rita, do you want to take a, a take take aim at this, or do you want do you want to whichever one of I you? I think wants Emily, to. between the two of us, and uh, as we understand, he served an LDS mission recently in India, and which is so, in and of itself. <clears throat> A telling of the times, right. right? Because this is not a a place that you typically typically think of Mormon. We can't say Mormon as you can. Latter Day Saint missionaries going to right. right? Um, India is a, a new frontier, you could say. So he, in this piece, <clears throat> excuse me, he has reflected. Um, it's it's a constructed 
piece that plays off of some of the religious um, monuments, screens, sacred kinds of places. So he within, actually within India. Within so looks, India. So it looks like a, it's about eight feet tall, mm -hmm. and it's it's a an architectural piece with how many sides? One, two, three, four. Is five, it five sides? Five, but five the panels. base is four and sided. They're, so they're you've got that panels within carved frames. Mm -hmm that rotate and then the base is also its own paneled construction. Very much that lattice work that you see oftentimes yeah. in, in Indian and, architecture. And, and the artist, um, he, he builds frames, so he built this whole structure and then also painted the five paintings on panel that are part of the structure. So this is not just oil painting technique of figures, of, of, a, of a dancer. Mm -hmm. But it's also the construction work of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of the woodwork that yeah. he's done. So it's architectural, conceptual, and based on sacred motifs and monument. And then the images on the sides of this incredibly beautiful dancing. And I'm not sure if he, he described particularly uh, what that, that is, what that form is. And we'll have an but, image of this up on our website, zinearthsociety.org, so the can, podcast tab. And they can, and they can look at, at his, his language. So it's elegant, the fact that he's got that. They're very, um, they're very much uh, more from a, a traditional classical realist, which has been his, his preferred style. He actually entered our high school show and won awards several times. We were just amazed at his skill level. And I, I don't want to be an ageist, right? He's <laughs> relatively young. Very, right, very by comparison. Young. So how old are we talking? 21? Early 20s? Really early 20s, I mean, we're talking like yeah. he just returned from mm -hmm. a, a, a LDS mission. He was on his mission at Bill's funeral. And his so, mother okay. came to represent him to Bill's funeral because she said, I knew Regan would want to be here because of the influence. And oh. his piece had actually been one of the winners when Bill juried, I believed. So I'm was it? Sure. Uh, Bill came through the high school show. I think Josh is what it was. Robert and Amy yeah. Jorgensen. The second place award is David Dibble, and it is his painting, which I have right here. And we're doing. We've gone around and taken photos, so we're doing this all on the fly, right? And I don't have titles for everything, but you do in the uh, in, in the document. Yeah, it's this called one's called Reluctance. Reluctance, and it is a large oil on canvas. David Dibble is a professor of art at Brigham Young University. And he's also not just, um, I don't I shouldn't say not just a teacher, because it's very significant work that he does as a teacher. He's also someone who is actively professionally showing in a number of galleries around the country. Um, in fact, I was just with him in California, the Cal California Gold Medal Show, where he also had a work accepted. So he is got a lot of heat. He's got a lot of heat right now. Mm -hmm. David and, Dibble. And I think we have discussed this, of course, with the jurors, but we also had our nonprofit board members in here yesterday morning. And looking at it, um, Vern Swanson came a few days ago. And the thing about this is we, number one, feel that it represents, it's one of the best of David's works that we've had come through. It's it is monumental, too. It's I know another large. one that is um, at uh, the Harold B. Lee Library at BYU that is near the registration desk, I believe, or one of the, the, the main desks. And that is the only other one that I know that is close to this size. And you would think the barn paintings have been done, right? You would think, okay, I've, I've seen a barn painting. But it's just like anything that's great in art, that if you get an artist who truly knows what they're doing and who has paid the price to think things through on 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 so many levels and execute he has made this fresh and new this is an astounding accomplishment in my opinion just and the it. barn itself is definitely the primary character in this right. painting it it is the protagonist and you look at the where the angle of it how there are discarded pieces of wood set up against it it really takes on this character within the scene it's not the nice little landscape barn in the distance no. it has something to say about its own past about the future what it says about where where rural lifestyle and moving toward a more urban sensibility is going and that this is happening 
all over the countryside, and yet that he's chosen to take this character, put it front and center, is really amazing. You, you would think that if you were, um, if you had the ghosts of Utah's art past who would, who would come and visit the museum, that they would hope to see some of their descendants on some visual level who they could relate to, but that would also be uh, d different from them, significantly different, not just repeating the same thing that they were doing. I would imagine Hafen, Harwood would show up and look at this and, and just kind of say, ah, this is, this is somebody who's, and I don't know if, 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 if David Dibble would, would claim them as, as, as necessarily his ancestors in that sense, but to know that you can come to the show, which is so diverse, right, and find something that is familiar, that but forward-thinking and original like this, that has a relationship to the past and saying something in the present. You know, wow, Mike, wow. it actually says something as well, and I think this is part of the the um, conversation with our board about this community that was a rural community, quite far from Salt Lake, if you think about it at the time that created an art museum, an art gallery. Right. And so it harkens back to that tradition as well, that this was the place where you had art, or, um, farmers who'd be out working their land, going to the barns, but then let their children start collecting art in the school and eventually were willing to build this facility. Yeah. So it really reflects that part of the heritage too. Yeah, yeah it's such a great and piece. Another really interesting thing about this painting that David just emailed me a couple of days ago is that he wants on the placard next to it to have this poem by Robert Frost um, called Reluctance. And I think it's such so so interesting. The the last kind of stanza of the poem is Ah when to the heart of man was it ever less than a treason to go with the drift of things, to yield with a grace to reason, and bow and accept the end of a love or a season. And I think that's just so poignant in pairing it with this monumental painting of a barn of probably, we were talking about it with the board, this this agricultural way of life isn't as common in Utah anymore and drifting of the season. It's just really such a, a powerful piece. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. Oh, so next one. And, oh, wait, I need something? to do a little promo. Please. This is the piece that our board has suggested we try to acquire for our collection. Oh, so during the course of the exhibition, there will be opportunities for people to donate to help us acquire this piece. Oh, we felt like it was that piece from the show that would really be an addition to the collection. Great. That's great. I hope, I hope that that's successful, and I hope this goes some way to helping with that effort, too. Thanks. The next award is Colby Sanford Sharing Light. And do I have the right piece in front of me? Okay, so Colby Sanford, um, also a younger artist, you could say, right? Um, we've interviewed him on the podcast before and know a little bit about his story of being in China and coming back here and painting, and we've shown some of his works. This seems like a step, a, a development in his work. It seems like the the um, the triangle triangular form of it that is is a really he, he's been playing with shape a little bit in non-traditional sizes and, and, and formations of his canvases. But this is, this oil painting is, is really a step in an extreme direction that I love. Yeah. Right? Not that my opinion matters, but <laughs> I love it. No, your opinion um, does matter, Mike. So, so um, tell us about this piece. Emily, go ahead. Sorry, and I'm trying to like look things yeah, up on sorry. the fly That's right, over we're doing here. This on the fly, I'm asking for a <laughs> um, no, it's a great piece. It's so it's triangular, so it's not a square or rectangular canvas. It's triangle, and it's a, a, a father and a child in, in bed with this beautiful quilt, reading reading a story, um, and. Well, it's interesting because the title, Sharing Light, there is a lamp, an actual physical lamp, but the lamp is not where you're getting that sense of focus and brightness. It's on the shared moment, and as you see the way he's, both compositionally and the way he's working the paint and the colors, that sharing light is the interaction between father and child. It has nothing to do with the externals. Talking with Colby about his work, um, I get the feeling that um, he's always carrying a notebook around with him, sketching whatever he's seeing, and it's often everyday life moments that he 
he turns from a sketch into his into a final work, and he's thought about it and worked on it over a lot of times. But that original nut is a very personal experience, which seems, I think, counterintuitive to a lot of people that if you're trying to find something that universally appeals to people, that you want to find themes that are that are not so intimate and and um, that have such a, a small like a, a personal address. But he seems to be an artist who continually proves that idea that that which is most personal is most universal. And he does it over and over again. And I find myself looking at these paintings that he's done and not saying, oh, that's a portrait of his wife. And then thinking, I don't know if I could hang that in my house because I'd be thinking, oh, that's, that's not somebody I'm related to. It's the opposite. I always think I can relate to that exactly I can relate to this moment that he's having and sitting in bed reading with his with his child it, it it's hard to get more personal than that and it feels it doesn't feel like it's any one particular person it feels like it's a it's a narrative right that, that could be anyone yeah. I love I and I think that that pyramid that triangular shape just contributes to the overall feel it feels as as we would know in Art. When you use that pyramidal form, you're going to have a stronger base, and it seems like that choice of that particular shape just re-emphasizes that focus that this is a very tender moment, but it's a strong base. It's a long-lasting, mm. enduring kind of moment. I like that. I like that a lot. Mm. I want to go into... Did you want to say something, Emily, before I... Yes, but I, we can move on too because I always want to say there's always too many things to Go ahead say. And say, say I was just say I think the jurors were really drawn to this piece too because I think they saw that he was using a lot of traditional painting techniques and grounded in some of that um, traditional way of painting and making art, but but taking on this very contemporary scene and painting in a way that really speaks to 2019, so that uh. there's this kind of tie to traditional ways of making art, but in a new, fresh perspective and I think the jurors were really impressed by that. So Micah, just with these three, I think we see when you asked about trends, we are seeing young artists coming in that end up in the salon or David Dibble, an artist that has been working, but that's what's so great about the energy of this is I I was not aware of Colby's work before I got here a few years ago. Mm. And now to see what a, a strong role he's playing that we see, and I was going to mention this before, a lot of the works that we end up seeing in the salon are things that we've been seeing snatches of on Instagram and as the artists are doing video. And I I think that contributes to the energy and the timeliness of what's going on. Mm. So they feel like they can start sharing, that they get a chance to come here and see if it will get in the show. And it just really builds an interest in what's happening in mm. the art scene today. I want to go to a piece now that uh, I know I'm going to be thinking about tonight. And I, I don't know um, I don't know what I'm thinking about it yet. Um, Tell me what we're, who did this and what it's titled. This is by Jeff Goodsell, and it's called Condescension. How do we be begin to describe this work? It is an assemblage piece, hangs on a wall. It's a roughly just dimensionally about three and a half feet high, two and a half feet wide. It comes out from the wall about six to eight inches, and it is... Um, it is composed of many manipulated, found, and made objects. Anybody want to take a stab at it? When I saw this, and of course it was uh, laying down flat on a bench before it had been installed as we were going through, the first thing, and because a lot of the little pieces in it are from my kid's time period. There's, a, there's Optimus like Prime, the Transformer, the with, Prime, who looks like a destroying angel. Soldiers. It just, it feels like the wonders of the toy box have been opened and revealed, and there has been this weird kind of toy story order and life given to these disparate objects. So, so at the top, you have a miniature of Torvaldson's Christus, top center, and there is, I guess we'll call this the, the, pediment. the, 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 the pediment, right? And you have... Uh, a, a, a giraffe next to him with a couple of birds perched on him. You have various animals that are gathering around him, almost like a St. Francis character. Um, and then below that, you have a large flat area where you've got the facade of a cathedral with rose windows in kind of a gothic 
gothic style. You've got the crucifixion, um, which is being overseen by a number of Roman emperor busts. And you've got Moroni's in there on top of the steeple. Of, is that the Nauvoo temple? No, because no? They're, they're glass. Oh, I that's their stained glass that, in there. That looks like that's made. Act, motion activated light behind those stained glass and then, windows. And then you have the tree of life that has these kinds of pearl-looking pears. pears. It is... I don't, I don't know if it's making a statement. Whatever it is, I'm digging it. So, it is. It is. It is so much to think about. It just so much unfolds. is happening. It's like it just. And I don't know it if you noticed. Straight down at the very center on the base. Did you see what's down there? It's a no. baby Jesus from a nativity scene. Oh my heavens! So straight under where the the Torvaldsen Christus is, but you have the guards, the animals, soldiers, Optimus Prime are guarding that little baby. So you do see kind of this cycle, this cycle of. I want to know where this is going to end up. I want to know: is this something that has a votive candle offering in <laughs> in, in the end? It is, and this is one of the beautiful things about this show, right? Is that it. It brings on all comers, all themes. You you do the spirituality and religious show too, but just by the nature of this being art, you're going to hit religious themes in the Spring Salon as well. And um, this is one of those pieces that you could take on a level of seriousness that's very high and look at it and spend a lot of time thinking about it on a serious level, and you could just enjoy it as a as a fun piece. It's not dismissible on any and level. And it's not it's overt in its, it no. does not hit you over the head. What you get from the piece, if you stand back, that whole engagement or, you know, with, with spectatorship, it is that this is a very complex life, but worthwhile. And every piece has its own place and role in that grander scheme. And to just look at it every single time I've looked at it, and I think I go from corner to side, kind of what do you see, the Walter Wick kind of thing, something new emerges and a different relationship between those figures makes it, it it's got that sense of mystery about it too, kind of puzzling it out, mm. which I think he's been masterful at embedding so many different kinds of discourse within that piece. I want to have um, Emily. I want um, you to pick a piece, and then Rita to pick a piece mm -hmm. that that, you, that we haven't discussed yet, and and uh, and and we'll pull it up here on the screen, and hopefully, I've taken an image of it. If not, you'll um, have to, we'll describe okay. it, and we'll have an image for the for okay. the website. I'm trying to look through what you have, and I will choose. I've just there's so many great pieces in this show. It's hard to just. I know choose this one is an impossible task, right? We it's like saying who's your favorite child. Of all of them. Yeah, right? you can't do that. You can, but you shouldn't. <laughs> okay, I'm going to give you three options. Okay. I know that this is not what you asked me to do. That's right. But you guys can choose between these. I would love to talk about Stephanie Hawk's painting, which is the street scene. Okay. Kent Christensen's, which um, is the Brigham Young on the dinosaur and the Utah scene. Okay. Or the um, Daryl Driver, the painting of all the eyeballs. Let, since we briefly talked about the first one, let's talk about the other two. And let's, well, we let's can, go for them. So let's do the Brigham Young dinosaur piece and it's this piece right here it is a triptych very colorful it's a trip it's a trip <laughs> it's a trip i love and a that triptych. double entendre i love it he didn't really did do that that no. was you right uh, yeah that's, i love it we gotta we gotta own that. you gotta own that witty. quick trademark that yeah quick so this is this is tell us why you chose this and and, and describe it well okay we'll so, describe it and then okay so tell this us why painting by kent christensen is is a whole utah landscape with all kind of different symbols of utah embedded in it. it's three panels the 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 main one is um bigger the middle one and there's um two dinosaurs that are crossing across all three panels and brigham young is at the far left on top of one of the dinosaurs at the very um diplodocus the four proud of me oh wow that. that is impressive i'm <laughs> impressed you. yeah um at the foreground there's um the spiral jetty made out of saltwater taffy um there's uh. a temple in the background there's a, the arch um the golden arch in the the foreground as well with the factory and there's some trains at the top with all 
sorts of Utah symbols like ZCMI and green jello that are coming to me at Promontory Point. So it's just this wacky, wonderful, fun exploration of Utah culture. And I, there's some commentary on, on Utah and Mormonism and our culture, but in such a fun kind of tongue-in-cheek sort right. of this fashion. This is not a negative or biting commentary. No, no, and it no. also doesn't feel like it's, um, it's the kind of thing you would be offended by. It's fun. It is right? so fun. That's Super, the best word. Very creative. Did you have anything you wanted to add as, as a thought about it? No, but it is to say... Um, there have been people when we've shown his work in the fa- past that do get offended. Yeah. But that's part of the ongoing life of a work of art, right? Right. That some are going to come in, going to find these exciting things, and there will be others that are going to be touched in a different way or maybe less positively. But we certainly feel like this is going to be a, a great crowd pleaser. Okay, show and, us show us oh, another can one. Can I say one more thing? Yes, about, please sorry, do. No, 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 don't apologize at all. This, well, is, but, uh, this is why we're here. It's, I'm just reading through his artist statement, too, and he says he's taking compositional cues from the Garden of Earthly Delights by Bosch. So I think that's yeah. such an interesting composition. I immediately has, thought of Hieronymus Bosch when I saw it. It's not as densely popular no, as no. one of his, which can be, again, who am I to criticize Hieronymus <laughs> yeah. Bosch, right? But but it does remind me of the Garden of Earthly Delights that's in the Prado. Um, yeah. Very much in its palette. I didn't think of that yeah, until you said so, that. Yeah, so interesting. And he's included a portrait of his ancestor. So it's very thoughtful. I mean, even those, those really hot pinks are very much Bosch colors yeah, and yeah. the saltwater taffy and he's even got i bet if you put them side by side the water features are almost exactly lined up with the garden of earthly delights and the way it's set yeah up. yeah how fascinating yeah oh, that, that makes me like it even more yeah yeah that looks really okay. interesting okay what was the other one okay it's daryl driver oh and i'm gonna it is the one with all the eyeballs we took at okay i know sorry this is such a weird you're so i know we're doing it on the fly the one with all the eyeballs what a, what does that mean what does that mean so you have to look at the images for sure. It's right here. And it is large. It is is roughly four feet by four feet. Yeah. Is that right? I think so. I would have to look at the dark um, but definitely. Oil or acrylic on canvas. And um, if you weren't looking at it immediately, you would think that it was potentially abstract forms. Yeah, it, but the closer you get to it, to it, you realize that everything is a detailed um, representation re- representation of a real object mm-hmm. or a thing, right? Yeah. Okay. Say 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 why you chose this. I just think it's. I get maybe I'm just attracted to fun, and that's why I want to talk about these kind of wackier works in this show. And and I use wacky in the best sense, like that is the biggest compliment. It's a com- but, wacky's uh, a compliment. <laughs> so if you ever come up to me on the street and say, "Mikey, you look wacky today," yeah, yeah, I think that is fantastic. That, yeah, exactly. Okay. But I love how this it, talking about dense and bosh. This is extremely dense and I love about it is it's so technically masterful this (laughs) artist knows how to paint and knows how to paint extremely well how to layer the pigments how to create tones and values and there's there's a huge arsenal of skills and representation of different materials yes right Sorry, I interrupted no, no, your go, momentum. No, no, go on. I want to hear what you're saying. And so you, you do see the way that he's controlling light, he's controlling value, color. You can see that the texture of things is very different. And so feathers look like feathers. Glossy eyes look like glossy eyes. Um, skin of lizards or lizard-like creatures look like skin of lizards. Unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, this came in just as I'm teaching a 19th century art history, and I'm toward the end of the 19th century, and so... Where are you teaching this? UVU. At the UVU. And uh, introducing Moreau and Renan and doing the eyeball. The students were looking at the eyeball, and it's just like, wow, this is the universal. There is a universal about it, both with all of the different textures and components, but it does introduce us into that level of strangeness. She can say wacky, I can say strange, because yeah, I think it's a everything so, combined. Eric, who is the silent partner in this, who's been the producer, has been sending me texts all along during the show. And he said for this one, the snozberries taste like snozberries. <laughs> a reference to Willy Wonka's wacky, candy-filled world. And you know what? Candy is a really yeah. good yeah. comparison to this. 
color, really shape, well, uh, that, yeah. Yeah, and I think just like conceptually, like how it relates to me in a human way, it's right. like, I feel like this all the time, like I'm gonna tear my eyeballs out, that there's so much going, especially in the chaos of putting up the salon or, or just in daily life, there's so much going on, yeah. and I love that it kind of captures that frenetic energy of, of life. He's got this really interesting MC Escher, um, checkerboard oh, yeah. that are represented at different angles and different ways. The more I look at it, the more I, I, I'm interested and I'm drawn into it. Okay. Rita, we're going to ask you for a couple of pieces. So to get us back down, uh, because I know, sorry, this I is took the us power to a of looking. You didn't, there's no, nothing to apologize for. Our energy is just, you know, we can feel it in here. We get excited. But I'd like to look at Caitlin Connolly's Climbing Mountains with Children and I was so pleased to, to see this. Uh, it's a larger work of hers. What Much larger than I'm used to seeing um, from her. And we've put it on an anchor wall because, again, it's one of those, much like what we were saying with Colby Sanford, it says something very universal but with some intimate imagery. And uh, so the, the first impression, you see the woman, very representative of have Caitlin showing her as a well-grounded woman with large feet, but that she's got a child almost hanging, you know, Superman-like with flying with Lois Lane and another child coming along behind. But there's definitely the sense of much has been accomplished. There's still much to go. There are mm. dangerous, these these mountain peaks these ma- are these, pointed. They're jagged. Yeah, it's, very, it looks like a perilous journey. But at the same time, she's on the top of them. She's on the top. And her head is up by the clouds, which is really fascinating to me. And yet, as you look at the clouds and when you stand back and look at the whole piece, it's in the distance. There's still far to go. And she's got these jagged rocks, but she's also got these chills who are so much a part of her. They're not just hanging on. They are grabbing on the strength of character, the strength of of movement. And the little hand clasp just always gets Mm. to me that there's something so tender. I know if you are climbing even up the most moderate mountain trail path with children, it is not easy. They are, you're trying to get them to come along, but want them to enjoy the journey, not be frightened of what's ahead to look around as this uh, other child is doing. I think she's just done a marvelous job. And it's not just a feminine-centered piece. It does say something universal, because I think every one of us are wondering, how do we navigate these peaks, these valleys? How do we stay looking into the distance without getting overwhelmed by the minutia, the scariness that's all around us? And she's, it's, if, if all the pieces that I've, I've seen, this feels like the one that deserves a giant movie anthem right like a, 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 a oh, just a, 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 a like a swelling yeah, chorus that yeah it's it's just uh, in in its subject and the way that she's approached it. and it does feel like um, having seen her other works which rely a lot on on color and pattern and and a lot of eye eye grabbing Content that this feels a little more pared back, and the figures feel more monumental—not just in scale, but in focus. There are fewer of them that are grouped together; they're standing out more, um, um, more strongly as on their own. Than and and I don't mean to say that, and take anything from other works. It just seems like this is a little pushing it even further and she does as you kind of brought up before this evokes all kinds of senses excuse me you can hear the wind whistling look at Hmm. the dress it's kind of billowing around her you feel that crispness of frozen air you you recognize how delicately she's stepping across here because it's very precarious and Hmm. So I think that's interesting. This is the kind of piece that you not only use as an optical, visual experience, but it does bring in all kinds of sensory responses. Mm. I, I think about one of the hardest things to, to do that they would talk in, um, in artist instruction during the classical era. They would say that it's very hard to do a, a background and make it look interesting unless it's filled with things. And she's done a really remarkable job of doing this graduated um, palette of the blue that has, it gets darker as it goes down and then has these bright peaks that it makes the peaks stand out. It's just, 
on so many levels, uh, a, a beautifully constructed and well thought out work. Yeah, the composition is really, um, like you're just saying, very technically thought out, very, very successful. You can even see um, the, the, the invisible um, eye lines that are drawing mm-hmm. you in, it, t- towards the figures. It's just, it's, it's great narrative storytelling in addition to being everything else that it is. Well, and I think uh, several times we've commented that her negative space, and as you just said, is never negative space. It gives that feel of almost seeing silhouettes, mm. and yet it is so powerfully filled with both the emotion and the workmanship that she puts into it. Okay, pick another one for us, Rita. You go ahead. Okay, I've got. I could pick twenty. I'm, I know. I'm like, I'm I like, know. I'm like, do we have so, time to do all two? So, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna pick a couple. Um, I want to talk briefly about a piece that um, I don't know anything about. I just. I, it's, it's it's such a brilliant concept. It's um, can you tell us who the artist is? I know you're gonna look it up. Yeah, it's but it's a it's a forest scene that I believe is a photograph framed that has been cut out in this intricate lattice work of geometric patterns, and that is um, been put and and the photograph has been laid over a white background. And so when you look at it. A huge percentage of the photograph has been taken away through these cutouts, but you can still put it together. Yeah. Right? Yes. The artist's name is Elise Wayla. I might be saying that wrong. Um, okay. And the, the title is Octus. And reading her artist statement, the whole the whole work is about, um, she says, moving my hands in red- repetitive repeti- Repetitive, sorry, I can talk. Repetitive movement transforms my creative process into a meditative act. I cut each line and shape out by hand using a precision knife. By the time I finish an artwork, my hands ache, but like most meditation, I am rewarded with more awareness and clarity. Wow, wow, and it's it's just beautiful, right? And and meaningful, obviously too. But just there's an these... elegance about it that's a very that's th- a great it, word. it almost appears fragile. When you look at it, you say this is a fragile piece that we want to care for. But I I'm just going to say something about it, Mike, yeah. because very close to it is another piece that these two in conversation. It's a work by Lisa DeLong. And uh, again, the way she's used. You're speaking my language. Form. I love yeah. Lisa Long. We've interviewed so her before. This is a fabulous piece, and we've we've been discussing. We want to talk to her about the pigment she's using because it's almost that lap, lapis lazuli. And it probably blue. is it lapis probably lazuli. Is. So there's it, so. It, it, I looked it up. It is. It is. So and she grinds her own pigment. Yep. She's a professor at the uh, Prince's, Prince's School for Traditional Arts in London. She's originally from the United States, but she has a PhD, and she. T- teaches um, Islamic geometry all around the world as part of an effort put together by Prince Charles with his traditional school for traditional arts to reinvigorate traditional techniques throughout the world. And her focus is Islamic patterns, geometry. So she will work from anybody from um, tile makers to rug makers to architects to people who are doing, um, what's the word, a script. (laughs) And she makes her own pigments from these stones. And then on top of that includes a mix of her own geometry with... Some sacred geometry. And I I first met Lisa when I was working on the Islamic exhibition at BYU. And the depth, this is... Many times we get a little bit um, condescending even with Islamic art. Oh, all they do is incorporate geometric forms, but when she talks you through, it's very powerful, and these forms have their own ability to convey certain messages. She has been increasingly interested in kind of the sacred geometry, and especially as that found, you and I were talking about Byzantium today, but a lot of the, both the skill and the meaning of that stayed in the East until the West was broken up after the the fall of Constantinople. But what is also interesting to this, and I'm eager to talk to her about it, that there are stars of David that you can see. Some of the places in this where you look at either the negative space or the way that those geometric figures um, collide and and coexist, that she's really got a very universal sense. We talk about some of the other works, but there's a universal that, that resonates with us. If you want to meet somebody who's an amalgam of different cultures, 
right? She's she's living, she's from the Western United States, she's living in London, she's working all of the time in the Middle East. Religiously, she's connected to um, uh, the church, the LDS church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> she's connected to, um, the, to the Church of England. She's connected to Islamic religion. And then technically, she's working in these very traditional methods in a very contemporary way. And she's doing all of these things at the highest level. We're talking about somebody who's, who's, who's not working quietly as a lone genius. She's working in communities around the world with the highest level practitioners of what she's doing, whether it's mixing paint or geometry. I mean, she's she is. If you were to have a Justice League of artists, she would She'd be, be one the, of the superheroes. Well, and I actually opinion. thought of her the other day as I was watching Notre Dame burn, and it mm. wasn't just a matter of oh they will come up with some money, but where will there be artists who are actually skilled to do that kind of restoration? Right. And I thought, um, talking with her of the mission of their school and several others, there are still places around the world right. where they are teaching some of those traditions skills, some of those skills for restoration, being able to do that. And I thought, thank heavens that we do have places that are focusing on keeping those arts alive. And she's done a magnificent job of of doing that and conveying it, like you say, in a very contemporary and timely way. And it says something about Springville that she's submitting here, right? That, That she feels this is her community still and that it has a place where that, that there's a home for her work. Um, we probably have time for just one more. Um, I'm going to let I'm going to let Emily choose it. I've already chosen Mike, two, you though. Do you want me to choose, choose one? The one, the black and white, the, the um, mink, mink. Oh, Stacy. Oh my or gosh, yes. Because I knew you said that one was going to okay. really stay with you. Stacy. And we're, we've got different pronunciations of her name. <laughs> the Stacy White's Mink, maybe it's Minch. I should ask her. We're friends. I should yeah. know this. So I'm never sorry, say Stacey, We just always say Stacy. <laughs> she has done this, and, and it's obvious why I'm drawn to this, right? I'm, I'm a 19th century art scholar. It's in a beautiful um, frame that would be a kind of Barbizon frame from the era. And it's a portrait of her son wrapped in a black and white striped blanket, sleeping in in Baroque proportions. His form is filling to the edges of the canvas. And it looks like something that Tissot would do of a beautiful woman in a fashionable dress, but instead it's her child. And it is, it's not for sale. And and so I'm going to take sold. so so or else or it would be gone and and you know that is something that we should mention is that that this is what one of the things that makes Springville so uh, inter- so wonderful and what makes it unique is that this this grew out of an association that was purchasing art in the, showing and purchasing art in the community and so when you have the salon artists can put a price on their work. And, and you'll see it right on the label if it's for sale, if it's not for sale. And a portion, um, it, so it, it supports the artist, but then a portion of that um, purchase price also goes to the museum. And generally, they're priced less than they would be at a gallery because the artist doesn't have to share as much of a commission as they would with, with a gallery that was representing them. So this is really one of those places that if you are looking to start your collection or enlarge your collection, you come, you can come here and you can cut your teeth or beat the system a little bit is another way potentially of doing it and get some some amazing art like this that I think she will be new to a lot of people. I could spend a lot of time raps, rhapsodically talking about this particular piece, but I think what I want to say more about it is that it's it's just an example of you can come here and you can see everything from photographs to um, to, um, sil- to 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 the amazing embroidery pieces that we haven't yeah. that we won't have time to get to, to seeing um, lithographs. Optimus Prime. Optimus Prime is the is a destroying angel, to uh, Trump Loy works the a huge range all at very high levels by artists you've never met before, and a work like the uh, the the plaster bust by Kirk Richards that is unlike what most people would expect from him, and. 
that he probably wouldn't put in a gallery as much as he would put in a show like this. So, I, if if anything, I, I just I'm filled with so much joy being here and seeing this. It's just such a positive experience. I'm looking forward to being here for the opening. Do you have any notes for those who are coming? This will be after. This will be the Wednesday is the is the announcements and opening. Is there anything you'd like to say to the public who's going to be coming in general about times, about how long it will be up? Yeah. Just check the website because we will be doing some events. We hope to get the artists here talking about their works. That's a really fun opportunity for people to not only engage with the art, but to be able to come mingle with the artists. Wednesday night, many of them will be here. And so it's a great time to make all of this real, make it part of life. And it will be up during the first part of the summer. And so it's a great place to bring children, to introduce them to the variety of things that artists are creating today. And it's... Um and the website is smofa, S-M-O-F-A dot org, mm -hmm. springvillemuseumofart.org. You'll have all the time. You'll have the award winners and, and, and images that are up there. I'm, I'm sure that's a whole other phase. You're going to have a catalog yes. that will be ready for this as well that people and can purchase. And as you can tell, it's always easy to, to bring staff in because we all just want to talk about the art <laughs> anytime. So come and grab one yeah. of us if we're available because we love sharing Utah's artists. It's what we do really well yes you do and i am it's we're so grateful to have you two you're just giants in the community and this to me is really the event of of the of the year here in the state art, art wise and i am i i'm just grateful for all you do thanks for having us thanks micah yep. thanks eric i would like to thank Dr. Rita Wright and Emily Larson Booth, who I have referred to in the introduction and throughout the interviews, Emily Larson. I've known Emily before she was married, and I, I know her by both names, so my sincere apologies. I'd like to thank both of them for letting us come down to the museum, for being generous with their time. If you'd like to learn more about the 95th Annual Spring Salon, which opens on April 25th, and continues until July 6th at the Springville Museum of Art in Springville. You can visit their website, smofa.org, or zionartsociety.org under the podcast tab. I'm Micah Christensen. Thank you for listening.